whatever. And I think I would have been the biggest Karen of them all because I would have over time believed those folks because I, they had developed within my social network. Take away those diamonds. I don't need those rocks. A second hand car and a new pair of socks. I want liberty without well hello there yes, <laughs> hi there john hi ben how are you this fine evening i am about 80 percent better than i was yesterday and yesterday as if, if for those of you who watched yesterday's show i had my my shoulder had been out in the daytime gone back in mostly yeah, and i was trapping enough, a nerve enough and i was enough trying enough to get who through is this, it who is this handsome man we have well, I was going to get you to introduce our guest, John. I thought you normally introduce the guests on After Dark, but yeah. Yes, yes, I know, but well, I, I, we would, I, I thought I'd give you the honour. Yes, we would love to welcome back again for the third time for me, second for Ben, um, formerly on Chasing Liberty, and last year on Chasing Descent After Dark, the one, the only, uh, Mark Changizi from Columbus, Ohio, and his Science Moments show on YouTube, which is uh, now well into the, what, nearly 200? Yeah. Nearly 200, yep. Glad yeah. to be here. Yep. Yeah. Welcome so, back, man. How are you? Oh, good. Very good. It's been almost a year since we last spoke. Um, it's It's been a while. Uh, <laughs> you were actually one of our first ever guests, um, and we've done guests pretty much every week since so yeah. it's 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 good to get back to shall we say our roots when it comes to having guests <laughs> well i mean the the big question that we had last year was the one that we've used as an answer almost all year yeah isn't it because Absolutely. we asked you how we come out of what we were in and you you are the man that gave us the answer because you said one, one at a time person one at a time person at a time yeah um, do you yeah. still hold to that? Well, I mean, I, I think probably my larger answer was that that's the kind of thing we're working on at this free expression research institute called freex.group. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, uh, uh, Charles McKay had, had, I think was the one that had said, we, we, they fall into mass collective hysteria all at once and they come out one at a time. I think, you know, the other thing that I often point out is that at least in the United States, with federalism, each state having their own somewhat independence uh, from the federal government, as well as each state having their own cultural traditions and their own um, somewhat cultural independence and social network isolation from other uh, 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 states allows them to culturally evolve independently. And that way, um, it's not just one. It, it somewhat insulates each one and gives them some kind of because uh, a, a lot of these things are not top down federal uh, stuff down. They're just part, they're bottom up, scaring the, the the federal government, which is scaring the you know the the media, yeah. which is scaring the in, in its all directions, right? So in the United States, we had tremendous variability in the degree to which people fell into Karenness, you know, COVID baton twirling, and that variability allows people to experiment and. In, you know, and uh, Florida and Texas to become famously a little bit more skeptical about the, you know, uh, whether to go down the COVID uh, lockdown route. And then a lot of places that no one ever hears of, like Ohio, which was actually opened up only two months, you know, by May it was opened up. And the only reason we kind of got screwed over again was the BLM riots uh, for a couple of yeah. months. So, uh, but no one hears about Ohio. It's not quite as, as well known a state as Florida and Texas. So these kinds of variabilities often don't exist as, as, 
much in other countries which are more unified and don't have those kinds of independence. But I think that's one crucial thing that helped us here. Um, and we're, you know, we've been, for, we've been pretty much open up for two years now uh, here in Ohio and many yeah. places in the United States. I mean, yeah. here in, in England, um, we technically dropped everything in July of last year. So we're looking nearly a year ago, but then we got up to Christmas time and, um, Well, the masks and the distancing got reinstated, Uh, but it was only sort of a six week blip and then they they dropped it all again. So everybody here is still on tenterhooks because we do have that, you know, we're we're very quickly approaching winter. and and we've got that sense of, well, they can just do it to us again at any point. Um, But but by the same token, right, Scotland which is only, what, 400 miles further north than where you are just now. Yeah. We didn't drop our restrictions until the third week in April this year. Yeah. Yep. Madness. Absolute madness. I mean, it had got to the point that most people were ignoring them, but masks were still mandatory. And and even now, when you go out and go to like a doctor's or a chemist. In fact, even sometimes you will see people putting a mask on before they go into the supermarket. It's absolute madness. Well, it's uh, mentally ingrained. Uh, it goes yeah, back it to what yeah. we were talking about with the, the you know the mass hysteria at mm-hmm. the end of the day. Um, and some people, it's going to take a lot longer than others to to return themselves to some form of normalcy. I guess. Do you think we'll ever really get back to where we were though? Because that my my fear is that. You know, one we we have jumped the shark in effect because, as a, as a a population, we've shown how easy we are to control, and um, I can't see them not doing something similar again. Well, we'll punt that one over to our guest. Well, yeah, I mean, that, I, I see. I, so I don't know how, what the the answer is. I, there's two things pushing in opposite directions in the red states within the United States. I feel like. Um, uh, we are uh, mostly less likely to fall for this sort of thing again by virtue of what's occurred. I, I, I see it much less likely uh, in the red states. It's a little bit. Un- I mean, in the blue states, it's a little bit unclear. Uh, a lot of them are are still very much on board. It's still very much part of their identity, part of their political identity. Uh, wearing masks is a is they don't view it as a virtue signal, but it is a virtue signal. It's the kind of yeah. thing that's culturally evolved to signal membership in that kind of political tribe, and as well as a, a statement for belief that lockdowns work, belief that it's righteous to do so, belief that people who don't believe this are not good people. You know, all of these things yeah. wrapped up together as things that they truly believe. They're not just wearing it as a virtue signal, thinking that it doesn't work. When one says them something is a virtue signal, it's a claim, when it's explained properly, it's a claim about the selection pressures which drive certain kinds of signals within groups um, that they're not necessarily functional. In fact, they typically work as virtue signals because they're kind of um, irrational. If it was totally rational to do, they wouldn't work as virtue signals because everybody would do it. It yeah. wouldn't work as a membership signal for the group. Anyway, um, that was the side, the, the, the aspect in which I see the red states being less likely because we've gone through this before and we, you know, uh, people are like, I'm not doing that again. But when you look at um, the younger generations, the, those folks in the younger demographics um, are all more likely to believe that masks work 
They're more yep. likely that lockdowns work. They're yep. more likely to believe that free expression is not important, that misinformation should be censored by the federal government. All of these sort of authoritarian views that I've been, we've been fighting are all much more uh, a resoundingly uh, part of the younger generation. Right now, most of this younger generations are, are, you know, generation is not in charge in terms of any political, you know, political capacity, but they nevertheless drive a lot of the culture because they're the ones that are lively and out there and kind of just, you know, the cool people that are doing so. So these things, as they get a little bit older, uh, the worries that uh, to how, how these two forces, uh, you know, in, in places like Florida and Ohio and Texas, the younger generations, which are, seem to have an authoritarian bent versus the other push of no way I'm not doing this again. I saw this and I think it's bullshit. So how would those things play out? It's unclear. So uh, sticking on that, do you think that authoritarian bent uh, boils down to some form of infiltration through the education system? Um, I, I mean, it's certainly the case that even before COVID, uh, universities have been measuring that the left uh, is left, left, uh, university students are disproportionately likely to believe that the other side should be censored and, yeah. uh, and that it's a violation of them to even you know be allowed to speak. And that's a, a highly left right difference. And there, of course, both those kids in the left and right are all parts of the same you know system. Um, but yes, it's and it's just generally true across the, the lower, the younger demographics have this. Now, I, I often push back on a lot of people say, "Look, there's this like my 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 kids' generation. I don't know. For my generation, it may have been three or four percent, maybe two percent, uh, maybe three or four percent were were LGBTQ. I'm not, you know, and, and then my kids' generation, my my and and his cousins." I remember, you know, they, they have a, an assembly where they ask everybody to raise your hands if you're a lesbian. Everybody raise your hands if you're gay. And like everybody raise your hands if you're just heterosexual. And one of my cousins, who's my kid's age, actually, um, she and her friend raised their hand. They were the only ones in the school when asked, are you just heterosexual, that raised their hand. And everybody stared at them as if they were, you know, wearing Trump hats, right? That was the kind of, you, if you don't say you're part of one of these other alternative kinds of rainbow classes, you're well, treated... Why are, they, why are they even being asked? So, yeah, so why are they even being asked is, is a ridiculous thing. A first kind of question. But sometimes people want to suggest that, and, and, and that this is there, that it's all due to top down influence. And I think certainly there's a lot of top down influence, but I think these kinds of cultural trends are much more complicated than that. Yeah. There's teachers with whole new attitudes that are coming in. It may be disproportionately likely to take those kinds of jobs. But also, you know, kids are very good at having their own culture sweep through. They often don't give a crap what the teacher's saying. They start to have their own their, their own culture that sweeps through from Facebook, which none of them are on faith. They're on, you know, they're on whatever the hell is TikTok. TikTok and other shit that we don't even know, right? Yeah. And they're getting their cultural influences from all of this stuff, which is signaling stuff that's probably the teachers are even too old to understand. They're even their young teachers probably are too old yeah. to even understand. They end up with their own stuff that happens out without the influence of those teachers. And it's out, often outside of any of our control per se. It's just the result of culture and the massive Ouija board of hundreds of millions of people. And it has a momentum of its own. And so we can all talk about, yeah, the teachers and they shouldn't be teaching this. It's like, but I'm not sure if that's going to change anything. And I'm not sure it's the reason for why it's happening. Um, and you know, these things are probably impossible to stop. And then they'll just at some point, they'll reach some peak. And then they'll probably start going in the other, you know, other directions, just yeah. like all things have right now. 
the culture is much more um, conservative. Leftists and right people on the leftists today are kind of like conservatives from the seventies and eighties. They're like sexually conservative, you know. Like, and they're always you're going to go out with one. They're like, you're worried about what you're going to say. Oh, did I just say the wrong thing? Did I just meet you? You or something? Yeah. Like, I'm just going. You don't want to go out with these people because you're just worried about these. It's like it's like. Well, actually, let, let's take a let's take a, a an example from earlier on. I I made a comment to you before we came live on air and after it after you'd explained the thing i thought to myself should i not have said anything have i offended him and i'm thinking then i'm thinking to myself why the fuck am i thinking like this <laughs> because we're both grown men and i've asked a reasonable question and i've had a reasonable answer so you know that but that's the kind of way that you're starting you're starting to be be influenced by the younger generation even though, you know, we're, we, we should be secure in our own skins. Yeah. Yeah. So the point, the, the point in terms of connecting up to the, these kinds of movements is they, it, it, it's not the case, you know, old people are like, oh, the young generation, they're all just having more sex and they're all more gay and they're all more, whatever kinds of stuff that the shit the old people say, but it's not always that. In this case, our, our generation, my gen, like the younger generation in some respects is much more conservative, sexually mm -hmm. conservative than yeah. previous the seventies and sixties. And, you know, and so it could be that for a while, suddenly trans is like this huge thing and it spreads. And then, and that's sort of very open-minded, you could say, to an, a, a sort of a ridiculous extent. You see, like some kind of not just open-minded, but like purposely trying to go into contradictory territory, like in you know whatever. But yeah. in twenty years, it might well the swing back, and then people are are you yeah. know not sufficiently open about it. And I don't, I'm not sure anybody's in control of this. And I think it's um, it's, it's, uh, it's cyclical, humorous. isn't it? Really yeah, I don't is. know if it's actually a cycle, but it certainly has waves that happen. Yeah, right. not, not the cyclical suggests that it's going to be another, you know, repeated. Uh, you know, yeah. it's not like that. But so I, I think sometimes the right has this wants to say, oh, like this is because someone has decided that we're going to do this crap to the next generation, and that sounds like a but one. It's just a very old person thing to say, you know. I mean, that's yeah. just what. Yeah. Right? It's not like that, yeah, um, and, but I just don't think we can control it. I'm not entirely happy about the, the sports angle of it. It's just bullcrap. And as a, my wife, who's a professional, you know, she was an Olympic kind of level, you know, champion of her country. Yeah. She was the squash champion of, you know, on the national team for seven years of Iran and for squash. So these women generally are fighting their way for the last 40 years to become premier athletes and to be respected yeah. as real athletes, not second grade, second rate athletes. And in Iran, you know, everything that I just said times a hundred, because for them to even go out of the house without a headscarf is like fighting the man, you know, to get that to happen. And so to imagine that these women get to this point only for some very mediocre biological man to walk in and kick all their asses is, is you know, it, 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 it makes yeah. them as angry. Yeah, so because that, I mean, you know, no matter what you do with your parts, inherently, once you're a if you're a biological male or a biological female, you have the advantages and disadvantages of that sex forever. Yeah. You know, absolutely, every cell in your body will always be male, for example. And if that person is dug up, their grave is dug up a hundred years from now, and tests are done on them uh, because all they've got is a skeletal structure, they're going to be identified as male. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
So I'd like to, to explore something that I read about and listened to. Um, and I, I'm, I'm aware of the Dunning-Kruger effect. So I'm looking for you to, to keep me right, Mark, just in case I, I'm going off on, on one here. But I've been exploring um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's theory of stupidity. So I don't know if you know about him. He was a... Uh, I need to hear it. I may have yeah. heard about it before. So he was a German um, pastor who was in Nazi Germany as it rose to power. And um, he could see what was going on and he could see his friends and his colleagues. And, and some of them were poets and writers and, you know, they were, they were literal uh, and educated people. And they, would, they jumped into the Nazi type of thing and they started doing things that, you know, like stoning windows of certain people's shops and things like this and and had, he ended up in jail because he would speak out against this so he ended up in jail and he, he wrote a, a number of letters from prison on this theory of stupidity and his theory is that it, it, it's this isn't an intellectual thing it's not something you're born with what happens is as social and cultural things change then some people accept this upon themselves in effect they become almost stupid because they don't want to challenge the social group and and you know it, it kind of explains some of the things in my mind it kind of explains some of the things that went on with them um, with the, the restrictions and you know people adopting restrictions that maybe did or didn't work and um we're, we're being careful because we're on youtube but um uh, and you know, looking for for um, are, are taking the word of government at its face value and not challenging anything, not being critical thinkers. You know, the, this theory of stupidity is that people then they just follow the group. Well, and, I can and, give you an example to bolster yeah. that theory, actually, and that's what we had here in England, something called the Scotch Egg Rule, and that was <laughs> you, you, you would not be allowed to buy alcohol in a pub unless you were buying a substantial meal, uh, because because COVID, because COVID, um, because apparently that for some reason was a scientific rule that people must adhere to, based in no science whatsoever. But people did it over and over and over again. They simply said, "Well, if I want to have have a beer in a pub, I'll go and I'll go and buy that Scotch egg." Whereas they could have spent a quarter of the price and gone and gone that got that beer from a supermarket and not had to follow the stupid rule. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. As a, in terms of the theory of stupidity, uh, I, I don't think that the people that fell into that fall into collective hysteria are. Stupid on the uh, IQ sense. No, exactly, and that—that's exactly what Dietrich was saying. That this is not an intellectual thing. Oh yeah, because people that would call themselves intellectuals would follow that rule that I was talking about yeah. to the letter. And people no, who educated people and people who weren't necessarily high up on the intellectual scale were thinking critically and challenging, you know, right. certain restrictions. Right now, the other, you know, there's there's sort of. IQ kinds of intelligence, and then there's more social intelligence, yes. which, in, in our, in, you know, my, uh, my colleague Tim Barber in my new book is expressly human, and it's about, in some sense, the evolution of, of emotional expressions, how we came to have emotional expressions, and how we utilize them in interactions, and all of our social intelligence is 
is all about how we use emotional expressions, which is a kind of poker game. We're kind of betting chips when I show that I'm really aggressive or I show that I'm proud or I show disdain for you. I'm putting chips on the table, which turns out I'm wrong. I'm going to lose those reputation chips. Anyway, we're gay. All of these kinds of interactions that we do with people are kind of emotional interactions and they are what determine social intelligence, our, our ability to move wills of others through these kinds of emotional, uh, emotional, ex- the expressive interactions. Now, but even there, you might say, well, how about maybe the people that fell are fall into collective hysteria are less socially intelligent. But the, the problem with that, and, and I don't, is that all of us um, are always hooked in to our social community and to the higher reputation people in there. And there's low reputation people in there. I might be higher, I might be low, but most of us have, let's say 10,000 beliefs or a hundred thousand beliefs or a million beliefs. And most of the beliefs we have, we believe because other people told us, right? Yeah. And they're usually higher reputation. You don't have time to go out, take the data and do statistical, you know, find out if it's statistically significant. You believe it because other people in your social network that you trust told you. And and someone who's very socially intelligent knows how to better keep track who's high and who, you know, who's low reputation rather than some scam artist. Oh, I'm like, like, oh, I've been believing them when they follow them off a cliff, right? That's what a socially dumb person might do. Socially smart people are better at gauging the social networks and and see. And I think I think socially smart people can easily get swept up in mass hysteria too, because they sometimes are more plugged in. And if you're plugged in in the wrong place, you're especially susceptible. Sometimes maybe an autistic person, whether he's high IQ or low IQ might've been actually more. um, I think I was purposely aloof. I've lived my life trying to remain aloof from social connections politically, but more so just intellectually, because I'm always moving from one field to a new field. And I don't want to get all bogged up in one field because I'm not going to get some new grand unifying theory of that field anymore. So I've always tried to remain aloof. I've even written about it for my students to try to design your life to be aloof. So I think I ended up being autistic. And sorry to abuse the word autistic. This is just yeah. the layman use that we use. It's not at all medical related. It's kind of a, an abuse, you know, a wrong term. Anyway, by virtue of those decisions, but maybe in a sort of stereotype of an autistic person whether he's smart or not, might've been helpfully safe, even though they're not socially, by definition in this way of using it, they're not socially smart. They don't get all of these things. Yeah. So I'm not sure that it would necessarily correlate with socially smart or IQ smart. It could anti-correlate with, with socially smart for the reason that I'm saying. Um, but, it's, but it's unclear. Uh, for me, my guess is that it's mostly determined by the, where you sat within the network when it happened. And had I sat within the network where I was watching CNN every day and I was, you know, whatever. And I think I would have been the biggest Karen of them all because I would have over time believed those folks because I, they had developed within my social network, a high reputation. And so why wouldn't I? I I think, um, I mean, if this had happened, if this had happened 20 years ago, I'd have been, I'd probably have jumped on board. I definitely wouldn't have. Uh, well, you, you may not have because you'd only been 10. But. <laughs> yeah, but ha- had I been this age 20 years ago? For but I, I, I think I might have because I was a different person 20 years ago, you know? Or, yeah. or had a very different network of, uh, a different well, social network. Exactly. Yourself. Yeah, I, I mean, mean friends, that, all of your connections, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, well, 20 years ago, I was a police officer. Oh, okay, yeah. So I'd be in a completely different environment. I'd you know, I'd, yeah. uh, it's, it would, it's okay. I, I don't be, hold it against. Yeah, you. I know, but I'd be used to. I'd be used to taking orders. I'd be. I was used to 
to taking direction. And and I I I must admit, I think I had disdain for people that you know, didn't really follow the rules. And now you'd be hard pushed to find someone who challenges the rules as much as I do. Yeah. Well, exactly. Well, well, yeah. No, that's true. Um, <laughs> I don't have a lot to add to this uh, section of, of the conversation. Being an autistic person myself uh, who has been steadfast in not following the crowd, not doing what they want me to do. But I, the thing is, that see, that's... Uh, it doesn't matter if you're autistic or not because everybody still has their own individual, you know, their own individual take from it because I know autistic people actually will not break the rules. You know, yeah. And do you know, there are, there are, there are obviously many and autism is, is not an overarching, uh, there's there's no one diagnosis. There's no one type of autistic person. And I've just not, have much faith in humanity my entire life, to be honest. So to, to see them start doing all of this in, in such large groups, I'm out. I'm out. I was, I was out quicker than you could say I'm out. So, so the other thing then that we might want to touch on is cognitive dissonance. Um, because there are a number of people who appear to be holding contradictory beliefs especially during the last couple of years. Yeah, con contradictory beliefs within their own minds. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But th they hold these beliefs and, and they they seem to be able to do that quite comfortably because my understanding is that looking at your internal cognitive dissonance is very, very difficult to, to confront yourself in that respect. Um, do you have any any experience on that side of things, Mark? Yeah, I, my my own impression is that uh, cognitive dissonance is something that one uh, uh, as, uh, ascribes to another person uh, that you disagree with. Because yeah, yeah. yes, it's a con you see two different things as a contradiction from your point of view, given the premises that you have and a bunch of kind of framework that you have. But within their own framework. Uh, within their community's framework and the kind of narrative that they built around it, they found a way to say that these things are in fact not contradictory. They have some distinction that you don't think is a good distinction. Yeah. Uh, it, it, they're founding that on something that you think is totally bullshit. That's totally arbitrary or not a good, not a well-grounded, you know, way that you would carve the universe. But they, in their narrative, think no, this is a, a really important distinction to us. And so I, I, I often, I've always thought cognitive dissonance, dissonance isn't a real thing so much as a way of describing from my external point of view, what I feel like you're, you have a contradiction, but from their point of view, it's so I don't think that they truly have some logical contradiction that they're holding in their mind at the same time. They've developed a narrative where it's probably not uh, contradictory in, in light of all, I mean, it may not be a good argument. It may still at the end of the day be a terrible narrative, but it's usually not directly contradictory. And, you know, the standard thing in logic is if you believe in any one contradiction, you can derive all sentences, both their negation and the positive version of them, which means you can derive anything. Like yeah. uh, once you assume a contradiction, you can derive anything A or not A. And so, and clearly they're not able to derive from their beliefs any old thing. So something about their framework still limits the kinds of uh, uh, consequences to some strand of things. Um, and suggesting that they're not truly believing in a contradiction. It's a much more subtle uh, uh, balance in some sense. So I'm not really a cognitive dissonance 
uh, believer per se. Is, is it more of a belief thing then? Do they do they talk themselves into believing something rather than you know rather than thinking about it critically? They're just accepting it as a belief rather than looking for evidence. I think that they 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 are part of a community for which uh, through which um, some people have d- developed arguments. Uh, sometimes there's data, sometimes there's arguments, mm-hmm. and. Someone has put this argument out there and people go, oh, you know, Doug, that was a great argument. And he gets a lot of credit. He raises and reputation. And, you know, Doug, and you, he's been good on a bunch of other things for the last 10 years. And so you heard this argument and it gets added to the narrative that yeah, the reason that it's it's OK to have kids wear M-A-S-K-S is mm-hmm. because blah, blah, blah. And then there's some kind of thing. Um, that it, it, and so all of these different things are put into the narrative and they're all based on some kind of argument or data. Uh, and they believe it for all the reasons that we all believe things, because it seems like an argument that seems to have some degree of coherence mm-hmm. from a person that you have high rep, some degree of reputation for. I don't think that there's any, I think that all of the things that people, when there's narratives that are false and bad and going in the wrong direction, individually, the individuals are rational. The network um, individually, they're finding the kinds of it. Now, what's wrong is that sometimes the network has gone ill. The yeah. network is broken. Mm-hmm. This, yeah. is the whole, this is one of the things. When you use the word mass hysteria or collective hysteria, some people want to say, oh my God, there's all these people who are sick. Like they're all collective, they're all hysterical. The whole point of this distinction is that no, it's not, no one is hysterical individually. It's a hysteria at the level of the group, it's a sickness at the level of the collective. Mm-hmm. And so what we try to understand at FreeX is trying to work out how do you diagnose, how do you understand, how do you fix, how do you make sense of these networks that are broken, whereas the individuals are really bright. The individuals are doing, in fact, just what you and I would be doing. In fact, if you ever get them into any corner, they'll argue circles around you and you just be <laughs> bashing your head because this is life, right? People that are in other narratives, even the crazy irrational ones like trans women, in women's sports yeah. is as irrational a thing as like you can imagine 25 years ago, someone saying, imagine like there was such crazy belief that, that you had men transitioning to be women. And not only that, which is, you could say that's a little bit bizarre from the point of view of 25 years ago, but they want to compete with women. We would be thinking this is so like now it's real life people who are in fact quite bright. I, I would actually say that was, that was, uh, uh, irrational quote unquote, a uh, societally, 10 years ago, not even 25 years ago. Yeah, right, even 10 years ago, yeah. yeah. But the people who argue it, I mean, he who legitimately, and I, I don't even want to engage in these arguments. I mean, these are just clearly, um, they wear their counter argument on their sleeve. You don't they're, even, they're bad faith arguments to begin with. Well, see, I, I, I go back and forth. I, I don't think that they're bad faith in the sense that many of the people arguing them genuinely believe it. These are people who are not even, they're not, they're not in that community at all. They're just regular smart people. And they just have sort of twisted their logic by virtue of some kind of weird narrative where they're, they've come to believe that this is the right thing. And anybody who does, doesn't want this means that some poor trans woman is not able to participate. So it's dogma. Yeah. Say again. It's dogma. (laughs) It's dogma, but I think it, but they don't think of it. It's it's to them. Just good logic and good reasoning, right? Yeah. And the thing is, I find that you you can't actually argue with them because 
it doesn't matter how you present your arguments and how well reasoned and how well presented and how well fact driven your arguments are. How you scientifically never, accurate. Yeah, you will never change their mind. That's the thing. Because it's right. it's coming from a, a deeper position. Yeah. See, yeah, I disagree. I, I disagree with never because one thing we can take the last two years as an example. One thing we are seeing here in England, especially, is many uh, people who who are figureheads in the mainstream media who were all in for the narrative, the message. <laughs> now backing off and saying, "Well, hold on, I wasn't yeah, really right, for that." So one, one, I, I can't accept that they were all in for it because they believed in it. Because they were in the mainstream media. So the mainstream media acted as a single unit when it yeah, came Yeah, but the to way us. they presented themselves, well, they, especially they all, people... I'll nearly, give you- nearly every one of them presented themselves exactly the same way, right? They were all in for it, and they all followed the government narratives. There yes. was very few people stood out and said anything against it. Now, yes. that... It's been a lonely I, place, I, John. I, I just don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think what's happened there is that they have been coerced or whatever into into following the government narrative and really been used as terms of propaganda. Yes, but I also believe when you when you look at some of the way these people presented themselves, especially on television, they they had talked themselves into believing what they knew to be wrong. Um and the let's take Piers Morgan. I don't know if you'll know who he is, Mark. I do, he used to yeah. be on CNN. But the way he used to present himself on morning television here in England, he was he had talked himself. He was all in. He was believing everything. And now we're sort of starting to see a back off, a shift uh, on certain fronts. And it's it's very, very telling. And I think it really leans into what you were saying that that it, it, they, I'm not taking away from what you were saying, John, but I don't think there is a point where they never, there's not a point where they'll never change their minds. I just think that they'll distance themselves from it rather than change their minds. Yeah. And I think even as they're distancing themselves and, and uh, Greg Gun, uh, Gonsalves or whatever his name is, one of these Karens is, you know, he tweeted a, I was never pro lockdown and it took me like just 45 seconds to find six tweets of his where he's totally pro lockdown, you know, and I saw that happening. Yeah. Uh, so, but I don't think that they're lying and trying to cover it up. It's not like they're, they're like, you know, the FBI is coming. They're trying to burn, you know, the, the, to shred all the documents. I don't think there is like this. They have, it's probably true that cause there were a couple of tweets where he was less, he had a little bit of language here and there historically when you would look through saying, look, lockdowns are not great. We should be a little bit worried about their consequences where some of the others didn't even have that. Right. So amongst the amongst his crowd, he feels that he himself was a little bit more respectful of the potential downsides. Yeah. And he feels that that justifies why he was never fully on board with lockdowns, even though he was championing them and saying we should do them. And so he's somehow interpreting this as a, I, as he backs away, he really believes that that's the difference that, you know, I, I don't think they're trying to shred documents. I think they, they, they color and change and forget at, at what the past was. They want you to forget. 
That's that's what it is. I think that the best way for you to forget is that they truly believe that they didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it, and that's why when you see them changing, you see you see a distancing rather than a I've changed my mind. You just see a slight shift in the way they present themselves. Yeah. Um, Very and- rarely. Who was the guy? Who was an Englishman just just led this week? Who had a front page story in one of the newspapers? Um, he's a famous uh, Rod Little. Uh, Yes, I didn't know him at all, but he actually said I was wrong. So you get like one out of a thousand people just mea culpa like that, right? Very rare. And they're the people I respect the most, right? They're the the people who will hold their hands up and say, you know what? I was really wrong about this and I'm sorry. Whereas I think what the others do, it may be subconscious, I don't know, but the word I would use is almost cowardice, right? (laughs) I think it helped. Apparently, he said his wife was never on board with it. No. His wife always, so that, that may help um, in his case. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I mean, fortunately, both me and John, uh, and I believe yourself, Mark, we're all married to people who are largely on board with the, our way of thinking. Yeah. So uh, that 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 has certainly helped in our personal situations. Yeah. But there are so many uh, I've spoken to who have lost marriages, who have lost. I've lost friendships, but. Oh, yeah. Certainly lost marriages, uh, lost partnerships, um, long-term relationships because these two uh, positions just cannot gel. Um, yeah. And it's sad. It's really sad um, yeah. because there's going to be a lot of a lot of long-term damage and fallout from what's happened over the last two years. And we are we haven't even scratched the surface yet. No, we haven't. And. and, and- And I want to make sure that we don't forget things have been good enough for me in the state that I live for a year and a half now that I almost feel bad to continue talking about this. But one, um, first of all, it's going on still strong in parts of the world. Yes. Two, um, this is two years of authoritarianism and kind of collective hysteria crazy. We're just eight months ago, much of our own country and still parts of the United States and much of the world is still thinking the unvaccinated should be banished literally from society. They should lose their jobs. They should not be allowed to shop or travel. And this is, and I don't want to just suddenly forget this. You know, this is, this is not as bad as a genocide, like the poor Rwandans, where it's like in one month, the whole place got collective history. They kill a million people. And then like six months later, you can imagine the average Hutu was like, what were we all so angry about? You know, like I bet it kind of wisps away. And like, yeah. the Hutu, you're like, Jesus, what the hell we were doing? And then it's like, and the Rwandans are not going to let this drop and they shouldn't let it drop. But at some point you feel like, even the Hutus think it's kind of have stopped thinking about this. And they, you want life to continue like, no, I mean, of course, what happened here wasn't nearly, nearly anything like this, but what was scary about this was the level to which it spread worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. And how quickly it happened as well. It was and like that. I mean, look at Canada. They're still at it. Still at it. Yeah. They've lost their goddamn minds. Excuse me for saying, but, I mean, your your country as as a whole, to an extent, Mark, is it's unfortunate because me and John wanted to do episode one hundred of our main show from from Florida. We're on ninety four coming on Sunday, and we can't enter your country. Oh, so what are the rules now that the UK can't come here? No, without not vaccinated. Oh, so the vaccination is still required for entering for for non um, card bearers or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't know. I think. Uh, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So we've we've had a bit of an issue there. We Is getting an echo? I am hearing an echo. I think it might be on Mark end. Uh, checking. 
if you have an echo, right? I sh- um, can you hear what I'm saying right now? Yeah. Well, you sound fine. It's when we start talking. So it, it's it's our, we can hear ourselves through your speakers. Oh. Um. <laughs> but why is that only started now? I have no idea, John. <laughs> That's bizarre. It is bizarre. Remember, this is technology, right? We are working on a free country loop right now. We're all in three different countries, so technology, it's all good. Um, Adam says there's no echo on the stream. There's no echo on the stream. That's interesting. Okay. Well, that's fine. Just keep going then. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's quiet in the background. Oh, Sauron says he hears an echo. Oh, right. See if you go into your see if you go into your audio settings. Oh, back out of this bit, you good guys. Um, so if you click on the up arrow next to your microphone, you talking to me? Yeah, yeah. there should be a, an audio settings on the you know on the the app on the app. On, uh, I'm just seeing in that audio settings there should be yeah. a suppress bright background noise. See if you. Try either auto or high and see if that makes a difference. Hello. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to the bottom left where it says uh, microphone and speaker. Yep. So the microphone, you should, there should be an up arrow. Does it give you audio settings? It's yeah, the upper arrow. It says microphone as default and internal mic and then speaker default, leave computer audio and audio options. It's, yeah. So try the audio options and see if so there's audio there. options just gives me the choice to leave. All right. Okay. Computer audio. You get to, you're, on a, you're on your iPad. Uh, well, it's a Chrome. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you don't get it on the uh, Android device. Can we just try and continue? It sounds yeah. fine now. Yeah, let's just. Sounds fine it. now. But that's weird. That's it's fine. Continue. Let's just let's just continue. Yes, continue. John, continue. Uh, where were we? Oh. Oh dear. John, you throw us off, man. You absolutely. Hey, Ben, you mentioned that you um, uh, lost yeah. your Twitter account. What was the reason? I don't know. Oh, they didn't send you an email saying that you violated the terms of service with the following tweet? Nope. I, I got that. I got that. They did not tell me what tweet it was. They simply said that I had uh, um, violated the policy for uh, harassment. I've never harassed anybody on Twitter in my life uh, and incited no um, no, no citation at all. So they didn't give me an offending tweet. I was not told why. Um, I I've appealed fourteen times, and on each one I have asked, "What did I do?" I have never had an answer from them. I don't know what I did. Mine was quite quite straightforward. I made a comment on on a caption competition. So you know how you get a photograph up and someone says caption this. And I made a comment on that and it was Nicola Sturgeon talking to Jacinda Ardern and it involved Nicola saying something about I'd give you a smack, you know. And and basically that was inciting violence. He made and a that's joke. Why, that's why I lost my account for making a joke. Oh, I think we've lost Mark completely now. Have you muted yourself, Mark? I don't know if you can hear me now. We yep, can. Yep. 
We can hear you. Yeah. Now. There was some slowdown on the network briefly there. No. So yeah, so John, John made a joke and I don't know what I did. <laughs> it's really that, that, that simple. And my YouTube channel, so I don't own the YouTube channel that we're on now. John does. But my YouTube channel uh, got taken down for alleged hate speech. Um, I was interviewing a hotelier about his life. It was flagged for hate speech. I asked where the hate speech was. I actually got into a back and forth email with someone from team YouTube, which is rare. And I continued to ask her. Her name is Emma. I've got all these emails, by the way. Uh, what, where, where is this hate speech? Uh, and, and the response I kept getting from Emma at team YouTube was trust us, bro. You did it. Where did yeah. I do it? Uh, no, just trust us. It's there. Where is it? Just trust us. It's there. Um, but and then so when you suggested you would go and visit her, I, when I suggested I would go and visit YouTube, they begged me not to go and visit them and then said to me that if you want to know what and where this hate speech was, you'll have to sue us. And then you lost That's the only account. way they would disclose it is if we went through legal avenues. And then you lost your Twitter account the next week. And then, yeah, and then I lost my Twitter account within 48 hours of that. Uh, when, when, what was the date of these? I can't recall, but um, I could send you a message. Was it about October with, or something? Uh, was it 2021, mid, vaguely mid-2021? Yeah, it was, was mid-2021. It was yeah. around about September, October, something like that. Yeah, near the end of last year. So, yeah. Like, so you know, uh, so you, uh, you, you know that the Biden administration began announcing in, in April and May that we are working with Facebook and Twitter yeah. and the other social media companies to identify uh, uh, misinformation uh, purveyors and with in particular posts that are misinformation. Uh, we are always having on the table uh, uh, antitrust regulation, which could always yeah. be brought there. We're also potentially uh, uh, bringing in discussions whether we should remove the protection from liability from whatever the uh, people say. These are the kinds of things that they were saying. And immediately um, after they did this, um, I, who had grown from, you know, a thousand followers yeah. in January of 2020, I grew to 37 or so thousand. And my number of impressions per month, you know, had skyrocketed. Yeah. Bigger beer. Um, as of May, I went, I didn't notice actually, it took me six months to sort of notice, like I'm just, nothing is happening. I'm not able, not able to get, and they, then you could just look at the m monthly impressions, just fall, 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 fall. That was happening that to me too. It was. And I would, what I would suggest, if you could still go back and, oh, your, your account is gone. So you can't get your monthly impressions. Um, so, uh, we have a lawsuit, um, that, uh, Michael Sanger, uh, Daniel Kotzen and myself uh, with the new Civil Liberties Alliance and Janine Yunus uh, is the attorney that's lead on this, um, who have been who sued uh, the federal government uh, for First Amendment violations. And so yep. that started in March or February. We had our hearing in uh, April or so. And uh, the decision came back the same time that Justin Hart, who was suing Facebook um, and um, Alex Berenson's, who was suing uh, Twitter, half of his suit was federal, uh, First Amendment uh, based. Uh, that's, that week, all three of ours, those uh, were uh, uh, dismissed on the basis of insufficient evidence of cause, direct causality from the federal government twisting the, uh, Twitter or various uh, social media's um, arms. And that same week, by the way, Trump's uh, Twitter lawsuit was also dismissed. So, yeah. 
We're moving forward. I can't report right now what we're up to next, but there's some other things in play that will be happening. Um, uh, uh, AJK is also now a fourth member of our of our Changizi versus the Health and Human Services um, uh, lawsuit. So that hasn't stopped, but that's the state of play right now. No, and it's good that you're continuing to do something because I, I, I find it. What what I find frustrating the most is if that they thought that I like my personal situation was some kind of purveyor of misinformation. Why did they not go for me on those grounds? And they didn't, right? They went for me. Well, harassment allegedly on Twitter, and like I say, cited absolutely no evidence whatsoever. I still don't know what alleged tweet I'm supposed to have tweeted. Um, and and secondly, um, on. On YouTube, it was it was hate speech. Uh, and like I say, I was interviewing a hotelier about his life. Um, I did a live show, and it was it was a little bit controversial because the guy's a bit of a controversial figure. But it was it, there was no there was, was it nothing related, or was it political? Even that one, uh, neither. Okay. Neither. It was, it was, this guy is a bit of a controversial figure. He lives on the Isle of Wight here in the UK. Um, he, he's, he, he's been through some shit. He's had a lot of drug related problems and, uh, and he was just telling us about his life, um, what he's been through. And that, that's what got us taken down off of YouTube. We, 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 we still don't know what in that interview did it. I know what We've never was. been told. Does he really like, does he like the Isle of Wight? That would make him a white supremacist. If he <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could be, it could be. But, but white's not even spelt like that. No, it's a W-I-G-H-T. I, I know, yeah. <laughs> that was totally worth it. That was a good joke. It was, it was, it was. It was, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, but it is a lovely place. I, I was only there three weeks ago. It's, it's a lovely place, but um, a bit boring. But it's lovely. <laughs> yeah, one, thing, one thing worth mentioning about this. Now, I, I did a recent science moment video um, at YouTube and Rumble and Odyssey and Instagram. I, you know, there are all these other places you can find my uh, series. The difference between censorship and memory holding is worth reminding ourselves. That, um, uh, censorship, supposing, you know, would be certain kinds of statements you're not allowed to say. Mm. And that particular statement uh, would be removed. Like, um, but that's a different. So, so there's a, a distinction in uh, logic and in linguistics. The use, the use as in U.S.E., the use mention distinction. So if I say, uh, you know, coffee mug, um, yeah. say, hey, this is a coffee mug. But if I say, hey. The coffee mug has uh, eight letters, right? Now I'm, I'm mentioning the name coffee mug, right? Um, that's a totally different thing. There's, there could be nothing more different in the world than coffee mugs and the word coffee mug. Now, the reason that's important, and it's, it's an important distinction because in certain areas of philosophy, as, we, as obvious as that is, sometimes they get sort of mangled together and people can make great arguments, but it only applies to one, but not the other. And you can get confusion. Now, if I retweet your censored thing, suppose you say something and they consider it controversial and I retweet it, I'm quoting you and I say, Ben said some yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, I'm not using it, right? I'm not making that statement. I am just reporting a fact of what somebody else said, Absolutely. which is a fundamentally different kind of thing. And Absolutely. If you want to get rid of all 
uh, mentions of things, this is the difference between memory holding and censoring. So again, because uh-huh. suddenly you can have a million people that are mentioning what Ben said. And, and if they censor you, that's just taking on your stream. That particular tweet goes away, but all of the mentions are still there saying, yeah, Ben once said the following thing, right? Yeah. yeah. But when you get rid of all the mentions, the entire history of it ever having occurred is gone. The, the history of that event is gone. Yeah. And this is what makes history. History is all about yeah. recording the events that happened. So Absolutely. Twitter, the way that they're getting rid of all of the mentions it is exactly the kind of dangerous uh, dangers of memory holding because you need those kinds of memories and you don't want historically this is what happened banned speech would be i publish something it gets to all of the libraries and all the office tables as actual physical copies in a newspaper or in a magazine and the government says oh i'm going to ban that kind of speech we don't and they go around they try to find it by the islamic government of iran whatever they go to try to find all those copies of the magazine and they burn them all right Mm-hmm. But they can never burn them all. There's always they're sitting in people's basements, either on purpose or accidentally. No one even just they forget about it. And then years later, they can drag it up. And historians who are interested in this particular kind of event, they go, yeah, you know, it turns out we found that we can find the materials that we need to do our historical investigation by going to. It turns out a few of the copies are still out there. They're distributed, decentralized out in the world, physical world, and really hard to stop. By virtue of it being centralized at Twitter and Twitter choosing to rid themselves of every mention of it is is exactly the dystopian world of, of Brave New World, right? What, what's even worse, though, is that the Wayback Machine seems to be getting affected as well. Does it? Yeah. I find it very useless. Whenever I try to use it, I can't find anything, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, there are there are occasions when things that were there have disappeared. Now that that's true is something that is very difficult to prove because yeah. there's there's nothing to go back beyond that, you know. Yeah, and even that is I, I don't know. There's apparently another company, another uh, project called. I'll get it wrong, but they're trying to have a way back style philosophy, but putting it on the blockchain so that it is, you can't mess with it. And it really provides the kind of distributed, decentralized, unmessable uh, history that you need. But it's just, I I find it hard to believe that they're going to have the bandwidth to really capture all of the stuff that's on social media um, uh, historically. So, well, um, I mean, as soon as someone takes a screenshot, that you've got it. Yeah. You're not because then you're going to have to go around and wipe people's photographs off the local devices, off the client. You know, that you, I just said the bandwidth involved in doing that would be immense. Yeah, but if it's if it's just sitting on your computer or a few dozen people's computers, which eventually get thrown away, what you want in the case of rather than physical copies, you need it to be on a blockchain, which is inherently yeah. on persisting through you know, millions of computers over time and, and continuing to persist by virtue of the blockchain. Um, and right now we have nothing like that. So Twitter doesn't need to be engaging in this kind of, it's as if they don't realize that the small difference from tweeting something to quote tweeting or retweeting something is all the difference in the world. Yeah. You know, honest yeah. stopping that person saying, even if you thought, yeah, you probably shouldn't say that kind of thing. But mentioning that someone once said that is you know, it suddenly extends it and makes it a million times more dystopian. Yeah. yeah, it really does. And uh, do you think that Elon Musk wants to stop this from happening? Uh, I don't know whether the specific distinction that I certainly, 
think he has good intentions relative to who's currently there yes. uh, for free expression. Uh, I think that much is, is clear. You couldn't imagine, you know, the kind of maverick person that he is, uh, it certainly seems that I'm willing to take him at face value that he has pretty good intentions. And usually when he's philosophically justifying something related to free expression, he's on the right track. Yeah, I don't see him uh, saying obviously stupid things. Uh, so I, I, I think it, it, it's... I only see potentially good things. Um, so here. one of the things that I keep seeing uh, people say about his potential acquisition of Twitter is that they are fearful of a statement he keeps making in so much as he wants to quote unquote verify all humans because they inherently think when they see that statement, they're jumping straight to, we're going to have to sub submit our identification. And what I actually think that means is you simply have to click a recapture, <laughs> you know? Well, I, I was taking from it that you had to verify you are a human being, well, this not is it. who you yeah. are. Yeah, cap. Well, yeah, capture would just do that. Fine. If you want to be, you yeah. can imagine two human verification, which has got a little H or something, and then something more about if they keep the current verification thing at all. Yeah, well, you are really the human that you're claiming you are. You know, something like that might be a separate kind of identification. Uh, yeah. But I, I, I genuinely believe, and you know, I might be being naive, but when I read that statement, the first thing that jumps into my mind is I'm just going to have to find the fire hydrant. <laughs> not, not, not I'm going to have to submit my government ID. Yeah, but, yeah, I agree. I agree. But the proof is in the pudding, as they say. So uh, we, we, shall, we shall see. Um, John, is there anything else you want to cover? Um, but the, the, the thing that gets me is that certain countries are going down the more dystopian roots when it comes to censorship of, of the internet. For instance, Scotland itself, it's now an offence to cause offence to someone. Yes. But that offence isn't decided by any independent body. It's the person that got offended that decides whether you've committed a crime or not. Well, look, yeah. here, in, here, in, here in England, we have something uh, going through the, the system right now called the online harms bill and it is yeah. dystopian in it's, nature it's the same kind of thing isn't it? It, it it's basically the ministry of truth and i'm uh, i'm aware that your ministry of truth over in the united states has simply fall, fallen at the first hurdle at this point hasn't it well i, I last thing i heard that they just picked a, another person to head it that doesn't have uh embarrassing TikTok videos. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, these, these are one of these, these weird situations. Where, I mean, Justin Trudeau, I think, nicely summarized it two months ago when he said that there's around the world, we see uh, dangerous signs of a new kind of authoritarianism that should put fear in all of us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. What kind of authoritarianism are you talking about? Um, that social media and governments are allowing uh, uh, more uh, uh, misinformation to be uh, stated on social media platforms. And who so, uh, decides what the misinformation is? Right. But so, and even if it's misinformation, misinformation kills. You, that's two sides of every argument always has one side that's misinformation. That's the yeah. nature of any discussion and any disagreement. You can never have both sides who are correct. Potentially both sides are misinformation, but only that one is correct. Work. That's can, the nature of the argument. Yeah? I can give you a good example of this, actually. And it's an example that was given to me, I say me, the world, by uh, commentator Tim Paul. 
uh, when he was talking to Jack Dorsey and Vijaya on the Joe Rogan experience, Twitter have a misgendering policy. So you're not allowed to misgender people on Twitter. But the idea of misgendering uh, is completely different to two different factions. One, one faction genuinely believes that calling a man a woman or a woman a man is, is misgendering. And one faction believes, as Twitter do, and they've made their rule for, that if you, if you misgender a trans person, then you're doing something wrong. But these two factions believe the opposite thing. They believe what the other one is saying is misinformation. And you've got this thing sitting in the middle and you've got these social media companies coming down on one side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And in that case, I'm not even sure if I'd be comfortable calling that misinformation. That's a break, a breach, a disagreement about etiquette, about how we should, how different cultural traditions sort of of how one is going to refer to other people of a particular category. We all agree that a trans woman is different than a, <coughs> a biological woman and different than a man who's a biological man who's not being trans. We all get that there's these, we get the space of possibilities. It's just that yes. one, we're going to use the term for this versus like these are terminological differences. This is not even a, a statement of fact that one is wrong. Yeah, but these right. are terminological differences that are getting people banned off social media. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's that's even worse. But yeah, yeah, and this is this is this is the problem, and this is why I lump it in the misinformation category because there is one side that believes that the other side is when when they say their definition of misgendering, they're spouting misinformation, whereas yeah. that side when they say they're saying their definition, they're hmm. spouting misinformation. But the social media companies are yeah. coming down hard on one side. So, so we're coming back to we're we're. Ultimately, they're trying to make us all stupid because if you have information and you have no other information to test that information against, what choice have you but to accept that information? Well, exactly. And that's what the entire point of these quote unquote Ministry of Truth is. All we have to do is look at China. All we have oh. to look at the flow of information in China. And, and remember, Jacinda. We are the single source of truth. Yes, she did say that. She put. She went and gave her a toothy smile. She gave her press conference. She said, "If it's not coming from us, it's not the truth." And I mean, that's terrifying. Right, it is terrifying. Uh, it is also exactly what anybody, a normal person, would tend to think. Right, a normal person doesn't understand the complex dynamic forces of a free market. For example, a Absolutely. free market make all these people rich requires letting people just do all of these gazillion market interactions, which happen wrapping your head around the kind of design that is wealth and all these products that come out of just a bunch of people doing shit, right. Mm -hmm. Is really counterintuitive. A typical fifth grader is going to think more of the way a communist might think just like, okay, we should probably centrally organize and figure out we want to make a hundred thousand products. Let's sit down and set up a hundred different, hundred, you know, thousand different committees and all, you know, top down. Yeah. That's actually yeah. what a sixth grader would think. It's much more intuitive. Same thing for free expression. You want to come up with the truth? We need to set up a whole bunch of like committees that go measure and figure out what the truth is. Not understanding that the free market of ideas is a kind of these reputation networks, the things that we talk about in Expressly Human. And all of this happens by virtue um, in science itself is the same kind of freedom to disagree over time leads to reputations changing. And over time, that's what leads society towards the truth, not by virtue of any top down. So it's, it isn't a strange thing to believe that the government should 
centralize the truth telling. That's in some sense what the first order position of any human would be who's not very sophisticated at this, because that's kind of what you kind of expect. Yeah, if you want to have truth, you probably should just have the smartest scientists go discover the truth, right? And I think I think it's useful to remember that that is the most obvious way to come to the truth or come to having economic development. It takes much more uh, sophistication and wisdom and experience to realize that that's not how anything happens. And that's in fact, gonna, that's ruinous. But that's totally counterintuitive. You have to understand emergent uh, the systems and complex networks and how things emerge from that stuff. And that is not easy. And it takes education generation after generation forever to constantly keep beating that into people's minds that it's at the end of the day, it's freedom and keeping your hands off, which brings you the truth and brings you economic wealth and, uh, and all the products that you rely on and you love is keeping your hands off. And you, you don't even understand how the hell happens because it's too big for your mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. how it happens. Yeah. We're only one generation away from, from losing that though. We're only ever one generation away from losing exactly. that. Because as right. you say, we've got to keep beating it and beating it and beating it into into our young. I mean, my children will always, always be taught to question everything, will be yeah. taught to critically think. We'll and 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 that's the thing that that's the thing that the government always tries to take away because when Barack Obama stands up there and talks about climate change and says the science is settled, that 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 sentence just made me die a little inside because the science is never settled. He obviously science doesn't, is a question. He doesn't understand how science works. If you can say the science is settled, you are not a scientist and you have no idea how science is supposed to work. Yeah, the best I mean as, as a scientist, I my discoveries I've got a dozen or more discoveries that I'm well known for. And I often, I'm only interested in doing, working on a project where I think the science is settled. If, if the science is really unsettled, like no one really knows to do. And if I yeah. come up with a story, it's like, yeah, no one really knew what the thing was going to be, or I thought it was going to be the, but you know, like I want it to be the cases where what was most exciting to me is like, they think the science is settled. And I think they're all stupid motherfuckers who are just all. Exactly. And I come along and say, holy shit, Mark is saying this. It completely overturned. That's when I hear the science is settled, I'm, this is an opportunity, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, exactly. Well, exactly. And it, I've always looked at science as trying to prove something wrong rather than trying to prove it right. And, um, and you know, further down the line, you know, in, in 50 or 60 or, or maybe, you know, 300 years, somebody will come along and go, that Mark Changizi guy was talking over the shite. That will never happen. Stop that. <laughs> but it, but it's, but it, but it's a good point, and it's, a, it's, a, it's something we need to hammer into people, not just our young, but, but it's something people, especially over the last two years, have completely forgotten because they have just been brainwashed. They have been brainwashed yeah. to believe that there is no such well. You can't, you're not allowed to question these people that are put out in front of you at the podium as authority. Anthony Fauci, in your case, Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance, in our case, I don't know who they had in France, but John, you probably got sick of them. But that's... Well, yeah, but I mean, the, the thing is that you're conditioned as a human being, the way that we have our school system set up, we're not encouraged to, to challenge no, we're not. And even we, even these days, kids at schools are not encouraged to challenge. What do you mean, still, even these days, especially these oh, days? It's, it's, you know, it's, you learn things by rote and memorize stuff, 
you're not encouraged to go down and think for yourself. No, you're not encouraged to question what you're being told. You're being taught. You're being told. You're not being told to, to, to push back, especially against your teacher. And it's a skill that I think is, is very lacking, the ability to push back, the ability to question, the ability to uh, add a coherent counter-narrative or counter-argument. It's a skill that is missing in so many people. Yeah. I, I, I did a moment video the other day on, you know, one of the, I mean, there's a lot of problems with consensus um, all by itself. Whenever I see too much consensus, my suspicion is that it's either, it's some kind of collective group hysteria. And a lot of the, even the fields that I've been involved with were kind of like micro hysterias, just group thing from, you know, from just academics over the last 30 or 40 years dialing into some really crappy theory. And it's just, they're all part of it. And just like, they're all wrong. And they've been wrong the whole time. So when I see too much consensus, to me, it's potentially a sign um, that they're probably wrong, but much worse than the argument from consensus is the intuition people have that if there's to the extent that there's some consensus, that is a higher justification to censor the non-consensus fear. Because as soon as you have that belief, well, then you are in, in, encouraging a positive feedback loop because as soon as you've got fifty point one percent, when you go, ah, that's a little bit of a reason to to censor the other side, which that's going to make the fifty point one percent fifty one percent, and that gives you more reason to censor the other side, and that's only encouraging just a positive feedback loop, which just makes it have unstable equilibrium push away as soon as you meet the move. So, if if you wanted to censor, and I guess I might even do this internally. When I, when I see here consensus, I kind of discount it. I'm kind of internally censoring or lowering because I think those might be wrong. If, if, the, if the government wanted to censor, if I had to choose, I would want them to do the, I want them to censor the consensus view a little bit to somewhat bring it back, not to bring it back to you. If it's true over time, the truth will push the consensus even against that pressure, you know, that count, yeah. that, that kind of censorship. But what you don't want is to be doing, because that's a pot, you, you'd always rather have equilibrium kinds of uh, negative reinforcement rather than positive reinforcement. Positive yeah. reinforcement just guarantees it's going to go in whatever direction there's any slight uh, stochastic variability from. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying right now can be applied to what you were talking about earlier, and this is sort of my wheelhouse. It's the free market and economics, right? This is where I'm where, where I'm qualified. The reason we get better quality, lower price things is because. Uh, it's encouraged to make it better. It's encouraged to to look at that item and see how can I do it better? How can I do it cheaper? How how am I going to get my item sold? Um, and that in the sciences, especially over the last two years, has been completely discouraged. Absolutely no free market economics within the sciences, group think only. This is this is the gold standard. This is the pinnacle. This but, is our baby. This is our product. And yeah. that's it. But is science is science a victim of its own success to a degree in that you now have so many scientists that's funded by big money. And and effectively if you do not follow the money, you don't get the work. But the way I look at some of these scientists, unfortunately, these days, and it definitely does not apply to Mark here, but some of these major scientists that come out with these major studies and is they are paid to get to a conclusion. Oh, that's, they that's, are not they are not paid to they are not paid to do the work. They are paid to find a route yeah, to a desired okay. opinion or conclusion. There's always been that to a degree, but the thing is if you if you are a scientist following a certain line of of, of research, say if you don't, if, if there's no one funding that research and it goes against the narrative, 
how are you going to pursue it? Well, exactly. But unfortunately, so you, you end how up, do we change you end, that? Well, you, that's the problem because science these days is too big. You know, I mean, if you've got to spend billions and billions of dollars to build a large hadron collider to find a particle that, you know, I mean, and the, the thing that really creeps me out is every time they come up with a particle theory and then they build something that can find it, they always find the particle. They never fail, which it, that doesn't stack up, you know. It's almost like, oh, we'll find the particle because uh, we need more money next month to find another one, you know? Well, yeah. <laughs> the, one, one of the issues with academia is that even all of those, the, there's a lot of bright folks, they're doing research that has nothing to do with the epidemiology, it's nothing to do with anything, um, but their careers um, are put at risk if they were to have spoken up. Yeah. So yes. yeah. a lot of them um, may not have even gotten to the point where I'm thinking to themselves, I would like to speak up because a lot of them were in the echo chamber, but the few, there might've been 10% or 50%, I don't know, who thought this is just, they're being nuts, but they need another grant. They're going to want it from NIH or yeah. NSF. And yeah. they're the kind of folks that are doing the shit that I've been doing because I'm outside of academia with my own institute. Then they would have been potentially canceled as 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 Jay Bacheria and 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 yeah. and, um, yeah. and people actually petitions to fire them right and in fact uh, Martin Kolhoff looks like he's probably going to have to end up leaving or maybe he's yeah. you know you know he's being really pushed hard they they want to fire them so yeah. a lot of people don't even let themselves get to the point they you know their bodies their brains subconsciously know they're just pushing just like well I'm not just going to keep my mouth shut and often don't even like they've made that decision is that they just keep their mouth shut because they need to have their they're going to lose their job um either because they're canceled or because they're hated they don't want to live in a situation where they're hated and painted as a trump evil denier blah blah, blah. or they're going to be applying for grants and they have when you apply for grants you only get one out of every 20 so it's really damn hard and then there's going to be all these reviewers either on papers they try to publish or their grants which these going to reviewers that they're talk and they go oh this person they did this and so that you're blacklisted implicitly you'll never find out yeah yeah, yeah. so they just keep it not such a fucking shame excuse my language but it really is because yeah. there are so many undiscovered miracle cures uh quote unquote um, there's so many undiscovered things that could help humanity as a whole and they are only undiscovered because of this system and it's it it does my head. You see, the, the thing is, you, you're never going, well, you aren't really going back to the time of the independently wealthy scientist no. who can afford to tinker about in his garage or whatever, or or, or even the, the, the poor scientist who could afford to tinker about in his shed. But but his, his work would be recognized because it made a valuable contribution to society. Whereas these days, you, you can't even think about making a contribution to society unless someone's sponsoring you. It's insane. I mean, I, for me, I was able to leave because I'm a theorist. So it's, it's yeah. all paper yeah. or occasional uh, programs that I write. But yeah, it, people that are experimentalists, uh, there's no way you can get any, I mean, except yeah. for the rare psychologist who's doing some simple things, but yeah. most of them, most of them really can't get by outside of academia and don't have the heart to try to do that. Um, and uh, yeah, but did you find it difficult to break away from that? No, I mean, even, you know, when I broke away in 2011, 10 years, you know, almost 10 years before 2010, actually, 
I left because I felt like um, the grant system was was uh, set up to lobotomize. The whole system was set up to lobotomize us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was a good theorist. I'm, I, I'm good at what I do. But the only way to survive in academia was to become good at competing against experimentalists for grants, three year to five year long grants, saying that I'm going to do this suite of a dozen or so experiments that it costs all these. And I'm not going to be good. And I don't want to be good at playing that game. The people that survive in academia are people that are good. They're just shopping through bullcrap NSF uh, or defense grant things like, oh, I bet I can make, tell some bullshit story that me or me and like a dozen people across other universities that were some interdisciplinary team that can do this. And they just weave some bullshit story mm-hmm. to get the money. And then when they, if on the they coin flip, they get it, they're suddenly sitting at the at all of the fancy dinners for the president of the university, but they haven't discovered anything important. They're not mm-hmm. even developing a useful product or de- yep. doing anything usefully important. All the romantic stuff that they probably had when they were 19 years old, they completely forgot about because they're getting rewarded because they get to sit next to the president. And they're treated as a fucking big shot at that university for bringing in more money. And they can yeah. stick it to the people that didn't get the grant. I got this grant. I'm a big, their heads get big for no freaking reason. And I wanted, I didn't want any part of that. I wanted to have to do great big projects. It took me 10 years, my colleague and I 10 years to write this next book, Express the Human. That's a huge product, grand unifying theory that should overturn everything that people think about in, in emotional expressions. And it's done by a theorist. I'm a mathematician type. So it's really deriving it from first principles rather than this kind of this stuff that a typical psychologist would do. Psychologists are brilliant at experiments with careful controls. And they're super brilliant at these. It's hard to get it, but they're really brilliant. But they're not brilliant at grand unifying theories that are the type more of a mathematician, computer, computational type can do. Um, that's what I'm good at. So that, but you couldn't do that in academia where I've got to publish three, five, six papers every year. Yeah. And I've yeah. got to have a grant constantly, you know, they just would never have been able to do that kind of and, thing. And are you going to have your work cut out to, um, to be recognized? Yeah. You, yeah. I just wouldn't been able to, to survive there. I'd be pushed slowly, pushed. not to mention as a libertarian, little L libertarian, mm-hmm. you are constantly treated as the, uh, a far right evil person. If you ever- Oh, believe me, we know, <laughs> believe me, this is one of the most libertarian shows you could possibly come on. Right. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm almost tree hugger uh, levels of libertarian. Uh, I, I'm, I'm so far out there. Live and let live, do as you want. Um, love who you want, believe what you want to believe. But, I'm called far right all of the bloody time. And I yeah, don't quite understand it. Well, that's because the the left has gone so far that it's now the extreme right. Well, yeah, that's true. The Overton window has, has shifted so far that the communists and extreme left and the authoritarians actually think they're in the middle ground. Yeah, but they're not. Yeah. They're just so deluded at this point that they think that where they sit is the centre. So when they look at somebody like me who is left of centre, I'm so far to their right that I must be far right. But I think it's, I mean, I mean, I think it's been happening for a long time, but COVID made it a little bit clear. You know, the traditional left, right, you know, a person on the right is is pro uh, economic freedom and the stereotype would be they're not as open to personal freedoms. Right. And so if you've got the axes like this, then yeah. you've got, um, you know, economic freedom and personal freedom or vice versa. And so then the typical stereotypical leftist is big on personal freedom, but not big on economic freedom. So that old Nolan chart, you end up with, let's make sure I, uh, this is, 
You're right, right? Uh, <laughs> Is that so, right? Yeah. yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Sometimes I'm worried that by the time it actually comes, like they're flipping it for me, whereas what you see is going to be different. Anyway, so uh, rights is over here, which is high on, on personal, high on economic liberty, low on personal liberty. And then, I, so that kind of historically kind of makes sense. You've got your, your, um, you've got your uh, left and your right, whatever. I, I flipped it. So yeah. anyway, but right now, since, since COVID happened, and I think it's happened before, started happening before that, the left, to the extent that the left ended up to be on pro-lockdown side, well, they're not, they're against economic liberty and they're against personal liberty. Yeah, right? What happened? What you wear on your face, they're demanding medical, you know, lose loss of body yeah. autonomy. Yes. This is in the down position, right? Authoritarianism is down, libertarianism yeah. up here, and then you've got the left-right axis here. Mm-hmm. It's not, the, they're at the bottom. They're at the authoritarian, but this is not left-right anymore at all. Now we're using left-right just as, as not names for the previous clans which moved in this direction, but yeah. it's not descriptive of anything, right? Yeah. So it's, an author, it's authoritarianism. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely it is. Packaged as freedom, and those yes. who are here, if you're free expression, you are a fascist right now. Listen, yeah. war is peace, freedom is slavery. <laughs> it's, it's, this is where we, unfortunately, this stuff was supposed to be fiction, but here we are. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> <laughs> We've got uh, the Ministry of Truth. We have. I, let's go back just before we, we do start wrapping this up. Let's go back to how the hell did you get your Twitter account back? Because you got banned. Yeah. So I, you know, I had been sent, I had been suspended for 12 hours and then seven days. All of this is by the way, after the yeah. Biden administration started their kind of push in, in May. And then in December 15th ish or so I was permanently suspended. I wasn't going to appeal. I just sort of just said, no, I'm just going to leave after this. I was told, go ahead and appeal just in case you, you end up to be involved in any litigation. It might be good to be appealed. And then they deny your appeal because then they Turned out I appealed, and then two days later they said, "Okay, you're back in." So by New Year's, I got back in. Yeah. Um, I guess they didn't want to piss you off. Well, I, but they are pissing me off because I'm still getting one. You know, only two percent of the impressions that I got. I, you know, my my impressions have been because all the people see is just this tweet has been censored. This tweet is uh, sorry, yeah. censored content this is sensitive content they can't find my account i don't grow anymore in terms of i just basically uh stay stagnant and no one can see it they have to click through and change their settings in order to see it so they're they're um, just permanently forever and i asked them i said your deboost you've you've set my my twitter account to sensitive content this is what you can do if you want to have a porn account i didn't realize Twitter has porn. Did you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I did not even know. Yes. And some friend of mine told, like, he, if some friend of mine told, like, yeah, I was dating this girl. Turns out you, you got to change your settings. And it's like, holy crap, there's like full on hardcore porn. Yes, there is. Yeah. Yeah. My account has been set by Twitter to sensitive content, which is basically labeling me porn. And I can't unset. Like, they've made it so I can see that it's set. And they told me, no, once you're sensitive content, we don't unset you. It's permanent, they told me. Science porn. That's what you want. Science porn. Absolutely. (laughs) But but I think this is important to to dwell on just for a second. When somebody is in the out group, right, you are unclean. A lot of the people 
the opinions that people have and the judgments they have about people in the outgroups are always unclean, whether it's a Jewish person or a high class person in cultural revolution of China, or whether it's a person who's not sufficiently being Muslim, a good Muslim, or whether you're unvaccinated or treating, uh, you know, or, or, or defending the unvaccinated or being anti-vax, right? Um, in this case, I'm being treated as, as unclean as you get. Porn is as unclean as it gets, right? And yeah. it's kind of metal. Yeah. They are using the same setting as as that level of like I'm a whore basically they're treating me like a whore. If you call someone a whore, you're calling them an unclean uh, person. Yeah. Same thing women with who are not wearing hijab properly, all a whore, right? That that's the exact. So it's sort of interesting that they don't have some separate category. You're just treated as unclean. Effectively, that's yeah. what's content. Yeah, I think you're right. So did you um, sign up to Donald Trump's Truth Social? I did. I've got 10 follow. I mean, it's just nothing. It's just sitting there stagnant. I, I post there occasionally, but it's just. We can't like, access it in the UK. Um, we, we can't access uh, it at all. Um, uh, so. we're gonna, I mean, any, any of these platforms end up being. See, the, the thing I do like about Twitter is it's not an echo chamber. No, it's not. And, no, and yeah. it, it could be if, if it was taken over by someone with real. Uh, libertarian views. Um, oh, it, would be, it would be like going back to 2009. It'd be the Wild West. West. Yeah. It'd be the Wild West. And it would be fun. And this is what I've been doing for the last sort of year and a half with these with these talk shows, with, with having people on, is I don't just take people, we don't just take people from one slant. We want to talk to everyone about everything. We want to talk to people who we disagree with. We want to have those conversations. We don't want to be in that echo chamber. We don't want to be in that bubble. But if you keep going over to these alternative platforms that keep springing up, you're forcing yourself into one. And nothing's going to move forward. Nothing's going to get done by forcing yourself into an echo chamber. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I, I'm not going to blame some of the people because they've just been sent. They, they're they're it's suspended. It's not their fault. So yeah, it's not their fault. Yeah. I right, think yeah. you know, once you've been kicked off Twitter five, six, seven, eight times, then I, I, I don't blame them for not going back. Yeah. 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 Anyway, I mean, that's um, that's been a great hour and a half. Bloody yeah, hell. Has. That's been great. It has. Do you want to start wrapping it up now, John? What do you think? Um, do you want are you are you done for the day, Mark? Or well, you're just starting your day, but well, I'm just starting. Yeah, but yeah, I'm. I, I'll probably just get back to work. And uh, um, but yeah, that that was great being here. Uh, you guys are gonna go out on a Thursday night? This is a big day for us in this city, yeah. at least. Is it? <laughs> oh, this is this is the um, this is well. When is the actual? Uh, what's it called? Or what's it called? That thing with the Queen? Oh, the Jubilee. Oh, the Jubilee! That's that was today, Wait, John. Is, is that well? But this is Springbank holiday today. No, it's so. What they did was Springbank holiday was supposed to be the last Friday of May. They just cancelled that off and moved it to today. They moved it to the summer. Yes, because this is the second day of summer. Yes, but the, the, but the reason they did that is because they're too cheap and they didn't want to give the country another day off work. So they, oh, you, they didn't want to give us an extra day off. No, for the, for the actual Jubilee. Was no, so the model. I, I don't, they did all the pomp and ceremony today. They did all the pomp and ceremony today. It was Queen's seventieth uh, jubilee. We had a bit of it on this morning, and it was very, very boring. Well, yeah, these things always are. But it's so outdated, isn't it? And uh, uh, as as somebody who is a libertarian, but the I'll tell you what, I did notice happen. What they got the 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 protesters out the way of the the troops quicker than they did out the way of the cars on the motorway. That's true. They, they did. I mean, those protesters, 
They were out there for about two seconds. Bang, they got them, pulled them out Bang of the way. Off. Whereas they were, they, they, they were blocking I the, was the wondering if it was mark. Piers Corbyn. I did have yeah. a look. But they were, they were blocking the M25 climate change protesters or whatever it was yeah, earlier on the year. And they were sitting there and the cops were just standing there and giving them drinks and things. Yeah, so just let them see the appears to be, it, it appears to be that if you are following the government narrative or enhancing it, then you're, you're okay. But as soon as you get in the way of the pomp and circumstance of the Queen, then boom, out. It's, it's, well, it was the same protesters. I'm sorry, I don't believe in a hereditary monarchy. I don't think such a thing should exist. And therefore, I do not celebrate. Not now. I, I don't. Um, and and all, power, all power to her for, for being a, you know, a figurative figurehead. But I, I just, I don't want to live in a society where people can be born into a position of ruling us. I'm sorry, but <laughs> that's not where I want well, to be. Well, I, I mean, I, I go further. I, I just don't believe in big government at all. I think, well, neither do I. You know, big government is an anathema to personal freedoms. Well, yeah, government, get the hell out of our lives. Yeah, yeah. Right, on so that anyway, note, Mark, John... It's, um, it's been great, and um, I'm hoping that we can catch up again in the future, perhaps. Yeah, that was great, and happy to come back anytime. And what, yeah. um, what's your next big step now that you've done your book? Well, you know, uh, at FreeX, we're working on really the next book. And this, uh, I'd like the next book would hope to be focusing on, whereas emo- uh, expressly human focus on the origin of emotional expressions and sort of underlying the more atomic level as to how interactions happen, socially expressive interactions happen between people, which undergird how reputation flows in these networks. Try and understand at the larger scale, these kinds of collective hysterias, yeah. mass movements, treatments of outgroups, how these kinds of, 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 of larger scale societal level stuff happens on the free expression side. People study the free market all the time. Economic, economists do this, um, trying to understand these large scale uh, things, but no one is really studying free expression in the way that economists study the economy. And uh, really, this is how you need to understand it. It's a, it's a, it's a free market of ideas. And that's yeah. not just a metaphor. It's a really strong analogy. And what's flowing through these networks is a kind of reputation, which is a kind of energy. Formally, it's like an energy, an energy that as you get more reputation, it allows you to use that energy to push wills of other people. And you can actually work that it has the right units for this and all these different kinds of things. So trying to understand these kinds of build frameworks so that we can better predict and understand and make sense of these kinds of large scale societal movements and freedom, which underlies them all. Sounds interesting. So anyway, um, with that, thanks very much everyone for attending this, the Mark Changizi version of After Dark with Chasing the Synth. Thank you very much. And thank you very much, uh, much Mark, for, <laughs> for joining us. <laughs> uh, and before we go, a bit of housekeeping. If you think there's any value in these shows that we give you, then always consider chucking us a little donation from as little as one pound a month. That's about easy, 74 easy, cents a month uh, over there. Four cents. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, yeah, it's, no. Yeah, don't give us dollars, give us pounds. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I'm just not going to. Um, I was going the wrong way with my estimation. Uh, I'm tired. But um, 
From as little as one pound a month at either patreon.com forward slash chasing descent or subscribestar.com forward slash chasing descent. For this episode of Chasing Descent After Dark, we have finished. So thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. Thank you very much, John, for being here, and especially to our guest yep. from Columbus, Ohio, Mr. Mark Changizi. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Have a good night, everybody. Good, good night. night. Diamonds, I don't need those rocks A second-hand car And a new pair of socks I want liberty Without conditions Roll up the carpet From the floor I don't want to be your prisoner No more I want liberty Without conditions I want liberty Take away those drums, they're too loud Give me a guitar and I'll play to the crowd I want liberty without conditions Take away that job, I don't want to work I'll stay at home and play in the dirt I want liberty without conditions I want liberty on my conditions Liberty on my conditions.